0: Well, good morning. Some great truth we 're able to sing today uh, reminds us of all the hope that we have in Christ and so encouraging. If you will, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Judges chapter sixteen judges chapter sixteen there in the Old Testament. A couple of things before we jump into that. Uh, one of the things that you will notice something kind of new uh, that we started this morning. Um, is we're gonna start some pre-service singing. And so a couple, maybe a song or two before our actual service kicks off each Sunday. And so we just wanna encourage you to, as you come into the room, to join in in singing as we prepare to worship. Uh, And so sometimes it's just hard to come in and boom, start all of a sudden worshiping. So we want to uh, just encourage you to come and prepare your hearts and sing and just be reminded of truth and sing truth and and prepare to worship and so that'll happen about five or six minutes before our worship service each sunday and so just encourage you to come on in and just join in and singing as you have that opportunity um and then today i want to encourage you to um, stick around for lunch today uh, after our service we have an enormous opportunity and privilege um, we as a church family, uh, to send out and support one of our own, uh, several of our own actually, Omar and Nancy Fernandez and their family will be leaving this summer, God willing, to be church planters in New York City. And there's so, so much there that I'm so excited about. Uh, just want to encourage you to stay today for lunch. Not only do you get to eat good food and be around quality people, Uh, but you'll get to hear how the Lord has brought them to this point and what he's going to be doing in and through them and so it's gonna be a great opportunity for you to learn more about how you can be involved uh, as part of their sending church and encouraging them and coming alongside of them to support them. Uh, I want to encourage you to stay. If there's some uh, reason you can't stay today, I do want to encourage you to touch base with them soon. Uh, they'll be happy to share with you uh, about their plans and what's coming down these next few months. And so I just want to encourage you. And folks, this is a blessing for us as a church. We're not just sending them out and saying best wishes. Uh, we are part of this. Uh, you know, one of the things I was reminded of a, uh, Uh, recently as I think uh, back in one of our members meetings a while back, I said, you know, it'd be great for us to be part of planting a church within the next three years. Well, I'm thinking Southern Maryland, right? Well, folks, we get to be part of planting a church in New York City in the next year. And so that's exciting to me, uh, just the idea of the gospel going forth in ways that um, only God can do. And so I'm thrilled to be able to get behind them and support them. I'll encourage you to stick around today and hear more about that if you're able, and uh, it will be a blessing to you. All right, Judges chapter 16. I want to read beginning in verse one. We'll just be looking at this chapter today. Here we go. Samson, Samson went to Gaza and there he saw a prostitute and went into her. The Gazites were told Samson has come here and they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait till the light of the morning. Then we will kill him. Samson lay till midnight and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up bar and all and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron after this he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah and the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, Well, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber. And she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, behold, you have mocked me and told me lies, please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in the inner chamber. But he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. And Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web, and she made them tight with her pen and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson, but he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pen, the loom, and the web, and she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies, and when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart, and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, come up again, for he has told me all his heart. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees. She called a man, and he had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now, the Lord of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, or ravager of our country who has killed many of us. When their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. It made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. On the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked while Samson entertained. And Samson called to the Lord and said, "O Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may avenge the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the lords of, and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Esdrael, in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel. 20 years. Have you ever been shocked at the failure or downfall of someone you respected? Maybe an athlete, maybe an actor, or someone close to you that you highly esteemed, or a family member, a friend. All the time we hear of corporations, these strong companies that end up falling because of some ethical failure of their CEO. I mean, you think about that, just whoever it is you have in your own mind, whether it's an actor, an athlete, or someone else, I mean, they they often have so much going for them, don't they? Successful in every way talented, strong, able, they're a standout. I mean, they stick out above the rest and you're just amazed at how great and good they are. But because of some foolish decision or failure, they end up squandering it all. Well, I know many of us have seen that and experienced that and felt that. Chapter 16 of Judges is one of those kinds of moments. We have Samson, this strong, capable man the Lord had called and the Lord had blessed and the Lord had strengthened and the Lord had equipped. I mean, he had it all going for him, so to speak. I mean, he was, he was posed to be a great judge in Israel and the Lord did use him. But when it came down to it, his life did not end well. He had it all going for him, God's blessings, God's provision, and wasted it all for his own self-gratification. The narrative of Samson is quite large when we're considering all of the different judges throughout this book because it covers four chapters. In fact, you can divide the story or the narrative of Samson into several different acts, if you will, like a play, and act one, his birth and arrival, that's chapter 13. Act two, his victory against the Philistines, chapters 14 and 15, and act three, his downfall and death, the chapter that we are in today. And throughout his story, throughout his life, we see this man who God had called and God had strengthened, remember, Chapter 14, verse four, because the Lord was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. But yet a man whose character is quite difficult for us to get our minds around. I mean, it, Samson's just one of those figures. You just don't know what to do with him, do you? Like, he's, he's, he's a mess. I mean, his personal life is a wreck, Right? We don't want to raise our children to be like Samson. And yet God still used this womanizer, this self-seeking, arrogant man, to judge, to lead Israel. One of the things that many have pointed out throughout the story of Samson is that Samson, in a sense, personifies Israel. Samson is is Israel in miniature, if you will. His own selfishness, his own arrogance, his own adultery is certainly kind of a picture of of Israel's life. Their own self-seeking, arrogant, spiritual adultery being present throughout their whole history. And how Samson really stands as kind of an example of what the whole nation had been doing all along. God blessing them, God calling them, God choosing them, and yet, time after time again, not seeking the Lord and seeking their own way. But friends, I think what we will find is that not only does Samson personify Israel, in some ways, his story is our story. How God uses and God calls and God does extraordinary things through broken and flawed and sinful people. As we walk through the final episode of his life, I want us to consider several important truths. I'll give them to you up front and then we'll walk through them. Truth number one, we're gonna see the catastrophe of sin. We're gonna spend most of our time there, so by the time it gets to like 1140 and we're still on point one, don't freak out, all right? We'll get to point two and three, but they'll be brief, maybe. The catastrophe of sin this is what we see on display in Samson's life, the catastrophe of sin. Then we're gonna see the triumph of God and the hope of man. I want us to consider those, those points that I think are emerging from this chapter today. The catastrophe of sin, the triumph of God, and the hope of man. That's how we're gonna kinda of walk through this chapter today. So let's begin with our longest consideration today, the catastrophe of sin. Sam's, Samson's ongoing struggle with pride, his impulsive nature, his sexual addiction continues to spiral out of control. I mean, he's not getting better. You get to chapter 16 and you think Samson's better, you're confused, right? He's not getting better, he's getting worse. He was a, he, he's a reckless man going from bad to worse. That's quite clear just by reading chapter 16, verse one. I mean, his wife had been burned to death along with her father, And Samson's going to a prostitute. His mind is certainly a mess. Soon after that, in verse four, he finds yet another woman. He's just a very impulsive guy, just, just out for his own gratification. But this time, he finds a woman by the name of Delilah there in verse four. And come to find out, she would be his ruin. Many things, I think, about Samson's life that that instruct us more from from a warning perspective. But I want us to see, I want us to consider two two realities about sin today from from Samson. I want us to consider sin's progression and sin's price. Talking about the catastrophe of sin, I want us to see sin's progression and sin's price. Samson was a, a work in progress or a mess in progress, I guess we could say. I mean, he just didn't wake up one day and think, I'm going to be a disaster. He continued to go from bad to worse. A couple of things about sin's progression. For all of you logical people, this is the third sub-point now, right? Catastrophe of sin, sin's progression. There's a couple of things now about sin's progression you need to consider. First, about Samson, because I mean, we could just describe his life in so many ways, but, but one of the things that, that flawed him most was he was self-confident. And we could say overconfident in himself. There's not, nothing necessarily wrong about having some sense of self-confidence, but, but he took it to a, a, a bad extreme where he was overconfident in himself and not trusting God. At least five times throughout chapters 13 through 15, we are told that either the Lord blessed Samson or that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. So the text makes clear that Samson's strength was not due to his membership at Gold's Gym or how much he could deadlift. Samson's strength came clearly from God and God alone. And yet, the more God seemed to bless Samson, the more it seems that he became self-confident. It's clear, I think, in the game that he plays with Delilah. I mean, honestly, when, when he meets this woman and, and she comes and says to him, tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound and how someone could subdue you. I mean, come on. He sees this kind of as a game at first. Let's just see how much we can just play along here and, and see what we can do because he was so confident that no one could bring him down. He honestly believed that he could not be defeated. He was a powerhouse that no one could touch and he had no one else to think but himself. That's that's kind of his perspective. Samson was confident, not in God, Samson was confident in Samson. Successful, thriving, and yet as far away from the Lord as it seems someone could be. Reminded of what Tim Keller once said. He said, the most successful people in the world tend to be the people that are the farthest from God. The most successful people in the world seem to be those that are the farthest away from God. And friends, we need to hear that. Why is that the case, by the way? Just, just think about that, why is it that the most successful, the, the most thriving and flourishing kinds of people, at least in the eyes of the world, the strongest and, and, and best kinds of people in the world seem to be those that are the farthest from God and seem to have no need of God? Well, I think especially in our society and culture, success is the byproduct of work, hard work. And that's true, right? Hard work does result in success. If you give yourself to hard work, education, and all those kinds of things, most of the time that ends up faring well for you, and it's not always the case, but most of the time that, that is the case. And so, and, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with working hard in order to be successful, but here's where it goes wrong. When you become successful, when you become kind of strong and, and capable, and you begin to give yourself credit for that and not God, that's where we have a breakdown. When you become more confident in what you can do and not grateful for what God has done in and through you, this is where things begin to come unraveled. The danger exists when we are more confident in ourselves than we are confident in God. I mean our confidence can stem from many things a diploma some kind of award advance in rank and if it stays there and we don't press through that to see the God who's got us there then we become very like very much like Samson look what I have accomplished look what I have done look at who I am Friends, how we need to hear this. Not only do you and I live in one of the most successful and blessed nations in the world, you and I live in one of the most successful and blessed regions of the most successful and blessed nations in the world. Praise God for that. There's nothing wrong with that. Praise God that we have been blessed to be in kind of the, one of the richest areas in one of the richest nations in the world. That is a blessing, but it's a dangerous thing. Education and income levels are some of the highest in the nation. Praise God for that. But again, our strength and our confidence and our success is not ultimately in earthly things. If we do not see that it is God and God alone who has brought us here and given us what we have, then we completely miss the design and blessing for what God has created us for. See, the irony of Samson in his life is that his strength and ability came from the Lord so that Samson could serve God's purposes. But yet, Samson had taken those blessings to advance his own purposes and selfishness. You see that? God blessed him to be a blessing to others, but he took those blessings and diverted them to his own selfishness and his own pride and for his own advancements. And friends, if we're not careful, we will do that so, so quickly. I wonder if that's been a temptation for you. You've seen, if you stop and think about it right now, you've seen so many times how God has blessed you. Blessings from God abound in your life, but instead of being grateful, Instead of being humbled by that and seeing how God is using that for greater, more eternal purposes, you've kind of hoarded that that blessing for for your own purposes. Taking them for granted and using them to advance your own agenda. There's nothing wrong with being confident, but that must ultimately be rooted in God and not yourself. Samson was a proud man. The Bible makes clear that pride often comes before a fall. Friend, how do you see your life? How do you understand your own successes? Are they the result of your own doing and that alone? Or do you see God's hand at work? Do you see how God has brought you and given you this opportunity that you have not to serve and advance your own purposes? but to serve and advance his greater purposes for his glory. Self-confidence is what Samson struggled with, and he took it to a bad extreme. But he was also self-serving. Self-serving. It's clear that Samson really didn't care about anyone but himself. The way that he would just use and abuse women and way that he just lived his own life, reckless, impulsive, didn't think anything about killing vast numbers of people. And slowly but surely, we know that that he breaks each one of his Nazarite vows. There were several vows that a Nazarite would take and, and commit them, their lives to. They would not... They would not touch or be around any kind of of dead animal or even person. They they were not to drink uh, wine or the fruit of the vine. They were were clearly to be set apart, and these were outward. His hair couldn't be cut. These were outward signs of an inward commitment to the Lord. The the things in and of themselves were not where his strength rested, but it was to to acknowledge the commitment of his heart because of this special calling of God upon his life. And slowly but surely, he had broken each of these vows. And he continues to be led by his drive for lust and pleasure, and not the purposes of God. I mean, in his mind, nothing, not even the Philistines could stop him. However, his own craving for pleasure would be his ruin, and that happens that happens in this relationship he has with Delilah. So think about this, there's nothing, perhaps there's nothing more dangerous, this is what I tell people before they're getting ready to get married. There's nothing more dangerous than two self-serving sinners coming together. Right? Think about that, whatever kind of relationship. When you've got two sinners who care nothing but about their own needs and about their own desires, apart from God, it's not going to to flourish. Samson was driven by his pleasure for for self-gratification. Delilah was driven for her desire for money and wealth. So we have this recipe for disaster. Verses 6 and following, we follow the plot to bring Samson down. In verse 6, Delilah asks him that question You know, Samson, what's your weakness? How can someone subdue you? You're a strong man. And so in verses 7 through 9, he gives her an answer, but it's not true. He does it a second time, it's not true. And third time, it's not true. And you would think, after the first attempt, when he kind of gave her something and, and the Philistines actually came in and tried to subdue him, you would think, okay, wait a minute. She's setting me up here. If he didn't get it before, maybe now he would get it. So by the first time, or now the second time, and even the third time, you'd say, well, Samson's just dumb. Yeah. That's what sin does, friends. It blinds you. It distorts you from thinking rightly. It leads you to make irrational decisions. In his work called Body of Divinity, the great Puritan Thomas Watson said this, sin is, a, is an irrational thing. It makes a man act not only wickedly, but foolishly. It's absurd and irrational to prefer the less before the greater, the pleasures of life before the river of pleasures of God's right hand forevermore. Is it not irrational to lose heaven for the satisfying or indulging of lust? In sin we do so. When lust or rash anger burn in the soul, Satan warms himself at its fire. Men's sins feast the devil. And We know that this is not just the case of Samson. This is exactly, this has exactly been Israel's history. I mean, you would think when are they going to get it? How many lessons do they have to learn before they are going to truly repent and be restored? Friend, let this just be another reminder of the blinding effects of sin. In Samson's game with Delilah, what he was doing is he was, he was toying with temptation. He was seeing just how far he could go with her, teetering on the edge until he ultimately falls over the cliff. I think it's a great lesson in temptation for us because he knew what she was asking and and he was kind of of playing. And you you see the development of that, he gets really close there when he says, well, just kind of put my hair up in a bun and do these things and not quite shave it yet, but he's getting closer and closer, just seeing how close he can get before he ultimately gives her his heart and tells her the truth. And it's just a reminder that when we're tempted, we, we must run, 2 Timothy 2, Paul says to young Timothy, see, or he says, so flee youthful temptations and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Paul reminds us of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Samson's problem was not that he was not strong enough. His problem was that he was not looking to God. His love for pleasure was greater than his love for God. Bottom line was that he never truly what God wanted for him. He never bought into his Nazarite vow. After all, that's what his parents did. That was kind of done deal before he was born. He's just kind of doing his own thing. He had disregarded God's calling upon his life and God's commands. The only thing that that Samson enjoyed was God's blessings, but not God himself. Now here's a question for you to consider in light of his failure. Do you want the blessings of God, but not the calling of God? You I mean, think about that. How many of us are happy for God to pour out his blessings on us? Lord, bless me, but don't you dare call me to do anything in response. I'll take your blessings, God, but, but don't call me to, to live my life for you. Lord, give me health and wealth and prosperity, but don't, don't expect for me to count the cost in that. Friends, so many people arrogantly want to enjoy God's blessings but have no intent or desire to follow him. And my guess is that there are many people in this room who are just like that. Happy to take from God. Happy to enjoy what he gives you but have no intent to use that for his glory and to count the cost in following him. Friend, search your heart. People often tolerate God so that He might bless them. But when He asks them to give their life for His cause, no thank you. Friend, is that your posture towards God? Because if it is, it's so self serving, it's so selfish. It's so selfish to want God's blessings, and God's grace, and God's provision, and God's power, and all of these things from God and have no intent to serve him. It's selfish. That's sin's progression. This is the the course of Samson's life. I want you to see sin's price, verses 18. 21. Samson finally gives his heart to her after she torments him. The Philistines were told in verse 21 seize him and gouged out his eyes, and basically they make him a slave. The same Samson that killed a thousand Philistines with a jawbone of a donkey. Same guy. Now, taken captive as he rested on Delilah's lap. Think about it. The man who had given much strength, killed Lion, killed thousand Philistines, now, just by simply giving away his heart, is a blind, humiliated slave. Friends, it needs to be said that Samson's strength did not ultimately lie in his hair. His hair was simply an outward sign of his vow to the Lord. It represented what was to be the commitment of his heart, but once he had yielded his heart to Delilah and had given his heart to her, his strength left him. And now he was given over to entertainment in the temple of a false god There's so much, that, so much that we can be reminded of in, in this story. So much that, 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 that emerges from, from these pages, but, but when, you, when you think about what happened to Samson and what's going on in his life, it just reminds us of how horrible sin truly is. I think sometimes we, we get so desensitized from it. We just live and breathe the culture and the air so much and we we hear things and we participate in things and we we just kind of desensitize ourselves from the horrible nature of sin. We have to hate sin. John Owen, another Puritan, he, he, he said this, he said, we must be killing sin or it will be killing us. If you do not have an attack plan by the grace of God, empowered by the Spirit of God to combat sin, it will take you down. The wages of sin is death. But oh friends, there's hope. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Our hope is resting in Christ. Sin has a price, it will take you down, it will destroy you, it will kill you, it will separate you from God forever and ever. But listen, the good news is is that there there is one who has paid the price. He has paid the price. He's taken upon himself, upon his shoulders, the weight and the, 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 the judgment that your sin deserves and my sin deserves. we need to remember the catastrophe of sin. It's not something to take lightly, it's not something to just simply give a head nod to. It will ruin you. It may feel good for the moment, it may seem okay for the day, but friend, it will take you down and it will take you to places that you never imagined. Do you think for a moment Samson thought that his life would end as a blind, humiliated slave put on display as entertainment in a pagan temple. Do you think for a moment he thought that that's what his life would end like? And don't be so arrogant to think that you can handle this. You'll take the blessings from God, but, but you can still handle life on your own. The catastrophe of sin. Point two. We also see the triumph of God. What was intended to be entertainment in this pagan temple of the Philistines ultimately became their humiliation. I love this, this scene because I think what you see in the backdrop of this, if we're if we're not careful, we kind of we kind of see, well, this Samson dies. But his final moment is also a moment for God to display his supremacy. God was not about to allow his servant, flawed and messed up as he was, to be humiliated in the temple of a pagan false god and at the same time God's name be humiliated. God is jealous for his glory, he will not give his glory to another. Samson was being shamed, but God's name was not about to be shamed. Philistine's false god was shown to be truly what it was, false, weak. God's honor was not going to be stolen and he would do exactly as he said in chapter 14, verse four. So as the temple comes crashing down, Samson does die, but so do the Philistines. In Samson's death, we're told more were killed and destroyed at that moment than all before that in Samson's life. And that should, in some unique way, encourage you. Because even when we live in a day where God's people and even God's name is being mocked, he will not be mocked, and he will bring the peoples and nations to nothing. The triumph of God is on display here, even through the the distorted, messed up, confused life of this Samson but we also see the hope of man. The hope of man. There there are actually a few different takes on Samson's end. Some people think that, well, Samson died in his selfishness, he died in his sin, he got what he deserved. But others think that his final stance was his best moment. In fact, the writer of Hebrews mentions him chapter 11 verse 32 in what we refer to as the faith hall of fame and what more shall i say for time would fail me to tell of gideon barak samson jephthah of david and samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms enforced justice obtained promises stopped the mouth of lions quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of sword, were made strong out of weakness. I would agree that Samson's life was not honorable, but his death was. His death was actually the most important point in his life and it teaches us two critical things as we close this morning. Number one, it teaches us that God is near. God is near. Samson was a reckless and ruined man. But listen. God never left him. Not only does he cry out for help in the midst of a desperate need, it's also in the week of miserable failure. Miserable failure. He was a failure, he was ruined, and he cries out for God, and God is near to him, and he listens. There's this faithless, foolish, fallen man deserved to be cast down, but God had not totally cast him away. And that is so, so good to hear. Maybe you are here today and you feel like Samson. You feel foolish, you feel faithless, you have fallen, you have failed miserably. Maybe you wonder if God would even hear you again. And the good news is that you can take heart because God is always near and God is willing to hear the cries of even the most miserable of failures. Your failures might be great, but oh God's grace is greater. His grace is greater. You may feel like you have wasted your life. but Listen, one simple cry, faint as it may be, for help. God delights to hear and he will respond. God is near. And God does save. Samson's life, it could be said, does come to a smashing end. He ruled Israel 20 years. He dies and he's buried. Another judge has come and gone. Israel is temporarily relieved from its oppressors but as we will see again and again, it leaves us longing for something greater and more permanent. In many ways, Samson serves as a shadow of the deliverance that would ultimately come in Christ. Just think about the similarities of Samson and the life and ministry of Jesus. Both would be betrayed betrayed by a friend for silver. Both were handed over to Gentile oppressors. Both were tortured and chained and publicly mocked. Both died with outstretched arms and both were struck down by their enemy and yet crushed their enemy. But there are some vast differences. Unlike Samson, Jesus was meek. Unlike Samson, Jesus used his strength for the good of others. Unlike Samson, Jesus remained devoted to God's calling. Unlike Samson, Jesus resisted temptation and did not fail. Unlike Samson, Jesus did not seek revenge. And unlike Samson, Jesus gave his life to save forever. And friends, unlike Samson, when Jesus was taken to the grave, Three days later, he triumphed over the grave. Demonstrating, once and for all, once and for all, that he, and he alone, is the savior of sinners. Friend, if you do not know Christ, call out to him, trust in him. Every human savior has their limitations. They can only do so much. But listen, Christ has done it all. He's done it all. Have you trusted in him? Have you embraced him in faith? Are you clinging to him in hope? Because he's your only hope. Trust him and walk with him and know him and rejoice in all that he has given you for your good and his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for glorious reminders in the midst of not so glorious circumstances. Father, we read this narrative of Samson and we're struck just by how unfaithful he was and yet how faithful you are. Lord, I pray that his life would be instructive to us in some way today. Lord, that that it would reveal just how, how flawed we are. Lord, it's so easy to look at Samson and, and judge him and say just how bad he was and forget, Lord, that we're no different. We're no better. We're no cleaner. When we all stand before a holy and righteous and pure God, we all fall short. It's our sin that keeps us separated from you, Lord. It's our sin that is so much greater than we think or imagine. It's our sin that that will destroy us. But God, we're reminded yet again of how great you are of how gracious you are, of how kind you are, of how faithful you are, how patient you are. So Lord, would you would you call our hearts to respond to you today? Or maybe there is someone here today, maybe there are multiple people here today that they feel like a miserable failure and feel like that they just need to be cast off. God, don't cast them away. Help them to see that their hope can be found in Christ. Help them to see that there is yet opportunity for their deliverance. Or it may be that there are others who come today and they just feel, maybe feel broken, maybe feel defeated, maybe they're struggling. God, you know our hearts, you know what we need to hear today and you know how we need to respond. So would you work grace in us Work in us what we could never work for ourselves, Lord, so that we would glorify you and be more like Christ. Lord, we thank you for how great and deep your love is for us. Because we know we deserve so much. So much that is so different than what we've been given in Christ. God, would you help us respond to you today in a way that glorifies you. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing to the Lord and respond to him today.